perhaps the least used word at CES this year, surprise for me, was 5G. So there, there just was not a lot of 5G mentioned. This was the year of AI. Did you see anything that AI would revolutionary, you know, is revolutionary for our, our daily lives? Are they using it in all of the products that we normally interact with? Like, can your air fryer now have AI? Now they were introducing AI into Baphomet innovation oh, wow. showcase. I'm like, I don't know. You know, some of the things that they were trying to do with it is, is a little crazy. And I think they tack on the term, just like we tacked on smart and cloud ah. everything. And, you know, we tack on the term to it. But I, I, I think where it's going to really change things is, is, is just accelerating the time frame for making decisions. Welcome to the 5G Guys podcast, the best resource for newcomers and industry insiders alike to explore not just 5G, but anything technology and telecommunications. We explore and discuss technology with guests of varying backgrounds and expertise to help you learn and stay current. So let's dive right in. Welcome the 5G Guys themselves, hosts Dan McVaugh and Wayne Smith. Welcome back. To another episode of the 5G Guys. I'm Wayne Smith, joined by my co-host, Dan McBall. Hey, Wayne. Hey, everyone. Thanks for coming back. Um, great to have you back for another episode. Hey, before we get started, I wanted to give everyone a heads up that uh, Wayne and I have started a weekly newsletter. It comes out every Friday, and we just sort of hit the two or three, maybe four most interesting technology topics that we see for the week. So if you're interested in checking that out in your inbox, just uh, go to our website, 5gguys.com. Hit subscribe and to the newsletter, and and you'll get it in your inbox every Friday. We'll also put a link in the uh, in the show notes. So, um, speaking of uh, interesting technology topics, we're on the back end of the annual Consumer Electronics Show in uh, Las Vegas, and we have a guest on today who just attended that, and his name is Jim Patterson. Jim is a thirty-year veteran of the telecom industry. He started his first fifteen years working for Sprint where he was part of building the award-winning wireless nationwide broadband network in the mid-90s. After that, he worked with Sprint on their business data services and was also the president of their wholesale business. After working at Sprint, he started his own company called Mobile Symmetry. Mobile Symmetry was a company that was focused on mobile identity, and he successfully grew that quickly and sold it three years later. Since then, he has been working under his startup Patterson Advisory Firm as a consultant, advisor, and analyst for the telecom and technology industry. During that time, he's also served as the chief strategy officer of FastWire, which is a fiber broadband internet service company offering service in Alabama, Louisiana, Missouri, and Nebraska. So Jim has quite the breadth of knowledge and experience, and we're excited to have him with us to share with us his findings from CES this last week. Thanks for coming on, Jim. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hey, Jim, uh, thanks for joining us. Give us an overview of CES. And, you know, for our listeners who are not sure what it is, kind of tell us what it's about. Yeah, and, and, and I'm, I'm amazed when I sit back and talk with folks, you know, to set the show, how many people have been, you know, uh, you know, it's their first or second time. It's, uh, it's a giant show. It's as big as everybody says it is. It takes over the entire city of Las Vegas for four or five days. It spawns sub, you know, what I call sub shows around 
media and other things. It's um, I've been going for 18. I've got to, I've been going over 18 years. I've gone to 11 different shows. Uh, you learn a little something new at each one, right? But the biggest thing is to learn to pace yourself. So you know, it's it's mammoth. Uh, it's across I think eight different hotel venues on the Strip plus the Las Vegas Vegas Con- Convention Center. It's uh, it's big. It's big. You'll you'll uh, you'll get your steps in if you fly, if you're if you're into that. You'll definitely get your steps in. I think I do. Uh, I was only there two full days this year. Uh, Thirty three thousand steps in two days. It's a lot. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, but it's good. You learn a lot, and and you see. Um, I, I've I've kind of refined my approach to it. Uh, I I go right to the awards. So the CES, the Consumer Electronics or CTA, Consumer Technology Association, does an, does an award. They assess you know people submit, and they they give a lot of awards. And some of them are, you know, rather mundane, and then some of them are really huge. So. I usually go there first online before I go, and then I go to the actual thing, kind of do the hands-on, and that's you know that can take two or three hours right there if you if you're interested in all of them. There's usually about 100, 150 innovation awards that are given, and then there's some best of show that are truly uh, mind-blowing things. And then I usually pick one or two of the keynotes. I don't go to all the keynotes. It's a it's a lot. It's a, it takes away a lot of time from being on the floor, uh, but there, you know, Doug McMillan was there from Walmart this year, and they had Lori Al as their as their keynote speaker. And it's, you know, there's a lot of different things that are going on, in, in you know, with with just regard to data and big data and how data is applied, and how that impacts um, our lives, right? So it's a it's a big deal. Uh, CES has changed a lot. Uh, when I started going, there were no cars and lots of cell phones. Smartphones, smartphone launches, Microsoft had a big presence. Uh, not so much anymore. So it's uh, it's it's much more about this very wide breadth of everything, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it it it. it well, I don't think we, I think we saw our first drones in the in the uh, to call it 2011, 2012 timeframe. So we've been seeing them for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. The cars have all started yeah. to change. It's become kind of a real showcase for electric cars and other things. Do, do you usually find do you usually find that though there's on for one or a couple of years in a row there's sort of a, some predominant themes across the show and and if so, what were those themes this year? Well, well, this was a, this was the year of AI. The the ability to 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 have machines make decisions with large quantities of data has been around for a long time. The ability to train large language models, so very large sets of highly correlated, hopefully highly correlated and high quality data in order to uh, be able to either answer questions more faster or be able to more answer questions more completely is new. And that's been going, you know, for the last four or five years. when OpenAI was released last year, you know, we kind of saw that there'd be a lot of new applications to it. I would say right now, AI at CES was uh, early innings. You know, it's, 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 uh, I, and I don't mean this in a, in a, in a negative way. I just say fledgling, right? It's, it's new. It's new. And as a result, 
you know, many times when we think about new technologies being introduced, we think, oh, it's just going to be perfect the first day I use it. You know, kind of like when you get your new smartphone, it's going to be just perfect first day I use it. I think the thing to learn with this, it very much like when we saw uh, the advent of the smartphone is it's going to go through five to ten years of iterations. We're going to see five to ten years of iteration of AI, and and things will change, and they'll make they'll be much better uh, with each iteration. But it's you know it's gonna it's gonna change. It'll get combined with some other things. It'll the quality of large language models will change. Um, unlike a lot of technological advances we've seen in the past, I don't think it'll be free. So I think that's another thing to kind of think about. And we've always thought about, oh, it'll just be released and it'll be free. I don't, I don't necessarily know. It'll be embedded into other things. But I think as you've seen with Copilot, as it's been introduced, it's uh, $20 per user per month, which is a little high. But I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, more monetization of AI uh, as, as we go through. Yeah, I, I think a good point, you know, since we have a lot of listeners and, you know, AI is... It's in the news. You can avoid it no matter what you do, um, you know, whether it's in the schools or not. But since this is a consumer electronics show, you know, did you see anything that AI would revolutionary, you know, is revolutionary for the, our, our daily lives? Are they using it in all of the products that we normally interact with? Like, can your air fryer now have AI and do different things? Is that how they're integrating it, this phase in it? Or... The smarter refrigerator or the, you know, I don't know, they were introducing AI into bassinets in the innovation showcase. I'm like, I don't know. You know, some of the things that they were trying to do with it is is a little crazy. And I think they tack on the term, just like we've tacked on smart and cloud Uh. everything. And, you know, we tack on the term to it. But I I think where it's going to really change things is... Is, is just accelerating the time frame for making decisions. So yes, I do see a lot of things that'll dramatically change as a result of it. Wayne, I don't know if I'm gonna say that it's, you know, tomorrow you're gonna wake up and all of a sudden everywhere you go, you're gonna, your face is gonna be recognized and all of a sudden it's going to automatically know what you've ordered the last 12 times you've been at that restaurant and your menu will be highly customized just for you. No, I don't think that's gonna happen. But but I think there'll be a lot of changes and subtle, right? Um, Google, I always like to liken, Google's the master of kind of the subtle change. They'll simply change how we drive. And in the, in the I'm using Google Maps as kind of the example for those of you who are big users of it. And, and, and then when they introduced Android Auto, they introduced the pervasiveness, right? So. It's subtle changes like that um, as they're building a very large data set of where I drive Mm -hmm. and where I go and how long it takes me to get there and whether I ran a red light. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're, they, 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 Google's done a pretty good job of kind of being, being um, ginger, gingerly handling (laughs) privacy. Um, and we'll see kind of where that goes because privacy and AI are, are hand in glove. Yeah. You touched on a couple of things that, um, you know, the use of AI from a marketing standpoint that sometimes is not technically aligned with the technology of AI, I think is something for 
consumers to be aware of. Like people attach AI to things that aren't using artificial intelligence at all. And I, I even wonder if we're going to come to a point where there's almost some regulatory oversight that says, you know, you can't use the term AI if there's not actually artificial intelligence, but, but it remains to be seen. Um, and then I think the other thing you just touched on with Google and the likes is all of this stuff, whether it's AI or not, is extremely driven by the collection of a lot of data and a lot of data about us, how we behave, where we go, how we act. And it's kind of daunting to the consumer to think about the fact that, you know, the more I want to take advantage of these things, the more I have to be willing to open myself up to have data collected on me. And I don't necessarily even know what that data is that's being collected. And, you know, so it's an interesting, from a consumer standpoint, sort of trade-off that we all will have to get used to. And, uh, and as you guys know, I write a column every other week called The Sunday Brief. And, and in last week's column, we, we talked at length and, and about the New York Times suing the parent company of ChatGPT, right? And, and, and what's fun in that is if you really read the, the lawsuit and you kind of look through the details of it, and it's, it's a little mind-numbing, right? You got to kind of part, you got to park your brain on it for quite some time. What you find out is 20% of the language model is dependent on the quality of the New York Times historical reporting. So because they are the newspaper of record, at least they claim that title, um, they're, they're driving a lot of what goes on in OpenAI. And they're like, hey, I want to get paid for that. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that's the wrong thing for them to want to do. Um, how much they get paid for it, it's the subject of the negotiation. But if we, if we trained AI simply on, you know, third party references and poor quality data, it'd fall flat on its face quickly. When you train it on high quality, then it's, that's why I was going back to, it's probably going to, you're probably going to pay for it because you, you've got, if you want to get the highest quality, you're going to have to, you know, there's, there's only a handful of people that are going to be able to deliver that for you. What I find interesting, just to kind of bring it back to the wireless industry and, and just the telecom industry in general is, you know, we've been collecting data in our industry for years. And, and we want, we, you know, we ride this fine line because many, I, I was at least and still, still am, depending on the company, trained on CP&I for you know, every year, it's a, in, in many cases, it's an annual certification, right? So you want, you're very sensitive to uh, specific user information. But the more we kind of get involved with other party data sources, you kind of like, well, okay, but these guys are, you know, are not telecom guys, but they're using, uh, they're using the data in a much different manner. So I think you have to kind of balance where all that goes. Um, I'll, I'll give you the one thing that, that I, and I've, uh, for those, those of you who are on this, watching this and also have read the column, I, uh, the, the one head scratcher for me coming away from this is AT&T. So, so again, been around the industry, you know, been, saw the whole evolution of connected car, uh, call it from the 2005 to 2010 timeframe. And uh, I, I, I wish AT&T had done more with the data they have on connected car. It seems like they got all the data, they grabbed all the relationships, 
and I'm sure they're making money off it because they're getting something for the, you know, what we call the vehicle diagnostic portion of it. But boy, did they, they, uh, they seem to me to have missed a very large opportunity. So I think they have something, I, I, I think the number is somewhere between 80 and 90 million cars connected today that are on the roads. And, you know, that nothing has been, nothing has been done with that information. And you talk about a good and solid and secure data source. That's an interesting one. This episode of 5G Guys is brought to you by Vertex Innovations. For almost 20 years, Vertex has been building the nation's wireless and broadband networks. Providing project management, network engineering, and construction oversight are just some of the ways Vertex helps its clients. So if you're in need of a partner to help you with your wireless network designs, construction, implementation, or operations, reach out to Vertex. You can find them at vertex-us.com. Yeah, so, you know, back to CES. So did you see um, any developments on the mobile space, you know, with the new phones? Is anything, like, just grabbing your attention? You've seen all the evolutions, and so, and you know, in your career. Yeah. As a consumer, what do we have to look forward to? Because we've been hearing a lot about 5G. You go back to AI marketing, Hey, the telecoms have done a really good job about marketing 5G, and people still ask me, "Hey, what is 5G doing for me?" So, what do you, what did you see at CES, in as far as the consumer, where 5G is going to benefit their lives? Perhaps the least used word at CES this year, surprise for me, was 5G. So, there, there just was not a lot of 5G mentioned. Now. That could be because it's already ubiquitous. That could be because people are looking at global standards, you know, but 5G is a global standard. That could also be because, um, you know, there are other technology options that are there. One of the hottest products at the show um, is made back, was made by a company called um, a B-O-D-E, abode, and they make, uh, they made a camera that connects to a new generation of Wi-Fi called, called Halo that can actually transmit, um, to a camera up to a mile away. And for my fast fire experience, having worked in a lot of rural environments, having anything that could connect from a, from a, um, a home router to something very remote say it's a feed bin or something like that, or, or even a, you know, even a, a, a more remote um, part of a larger farm complex would be tremendous. Now, it's not going to communicate a lot of bandwidth, but it's enough to do pictures. And, and this was a 1080p camera and, the, and the, the demo was incredible. So as I said, I like to say, sometimes the things that are talked about and the things that aren't talked about are important. Um, I think what we're starting to see is there, there's a, there's, you know, there's more activity going on in certain parts of the Wi-Fi domain, which could potentially down the road, long, long ways down the road, represent a substitute to to license spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> you know, my take is for, for a while now on the podcast, Wayne, I've talked about how as we've, you know, gone through the podcast at, at kind of along the same sort of time frame that the 5G has been introduced and and it's been rolling out is 
that a lot of the advantages of 5G really aren't consumer focused. Now, the, the carriers have tried to really do a good job of marketing 5G to their customers, but a lot of the advantages are first and foremost, and I've come to a solid conclusion on this at this point, to the benefit of the carriers. It's just allowed them to build and operate a network much more economically efficiently. Um, the 5G core network and radio network is just a lot more, they get a lot more bang for their buck. And then also we've talked about the fact that a lot of the the capabilities that 5G offers really are, are going to be behind the scenes in the world around us. And we don't necessarily see it as a consumer, smart cities, um, industrial IoT. So making the things that make our world go work better. And I, I think what your observation is of not a whole lot, if anything, talked about 5G at the consumer electronic show is, is sort of sealing my prediction on that or my assessment of that, that, that I think that's what everyone's sort of now realizing is this one just really didn't hit the consumer as much as we all had with 4G LTE. Maybe the exception to that is that there's been some advances with regard to 5G and some of the handsets and other devices out there. Yeah, these are way down on the curve, right? So are there different operating systems that could potentially challenge Android in the future that are more secure? Yes. Are they going to be successful? I don't know. Doubt it. Um, has LG done a good job of using WebOS and, and integrated what we all knew from the Palm Pre was a pretty good OS into their uh, core electronics? Yeah. Has Samsung done a good job on their OS of integrating Tizen into all their TVs? You betcha. I mean, they've, they've, so there's a lot of things that kind of, you know, kind of sprouted from, the, from all the OS developments that happened, all the smartphones that happened. But, but I think, I think, the only thing, I can I might might be generalizing a little bit here, but you know, foldables. I can fold the camera both ways. I think that was like the one thing that I saw in the smartphones. I thought, okay, that's kind of interesting. Um, I'm able to fold a TV. I, I don't know if I really care about that or not. You know, it just it doesn't doesn't kind of. I, I can't see the use case for that. Um, but I do see the use case for large language models and data and, and, and improving the productivity and the overall experience of the user and being able to quickly tell the user whether uh, they really need to replace their smartphone or not based on a remote diagnostic. Mm -hmm. it, where, where, and this is a little bit more philosophical and probably a topic of another discussion is wh where, where did the carriers get off track on this? And I think the issue, I think the issue was, and having run the, the early days of sprints, at that time, we called it machine to machine or, or IoT business unit. Uh, is we it, it didn't quite have the ARPU to justify the marketing, mm -hmm. and because it didn't have the ARPU to justify the marketing, it was a little trickier to to have it be as widespread as possible, and and uh, that's. That may or may not be the case anymore, um, but I, I think there's still a little bit of legacy thinking around that in certain in certain areas across certain carriers. I I I don't think there is any carrier today that wouldn't entertain looking at all of the different applic uh, applications. I think the question is, can I get a hundred thousand of them? Mm -hmm. You know, can I can I get two hundred thousand of them? Maybe, maybe not, right? And that—that's where I think the the challenge I think comes to the carriers is yeah. it, 
it seems like there's a very robust ecosystem to build, you know, smaller things, specialized things, and be able to monetize those pretty effectively. But but yeah. it it doesn't seem to doesn't seem to grab the carrier's attention. Uh, it hasn't hasn't ever been able to capture the carrier's attention. Well, you know, I'll, I'll give you one. Back in the early days of the IoT world, um, uh, we we were a partner with a company called CardioNet. And what CardioNet measured was uh, your heartbeat, and then it transmitted the results of that uh, remotely to your doctor, which was a big darn deal in 2006, right? It was a huge deal. And uh, I think the first year we sold 3,000 of them. And I think the second year we sold 30,000 of them, right? And, and, it, and I, think the, I think the monthly recurring fee might have been $50 a month on them. You know, but it wasn't enough to kind of to kind of create a pop anywhere. You knew you were doing the right thing. You knew you were saving lives. You knew that you know all of the all of the great things about where about the promise of of at that time we called it machine to machine vision, right? You you could see it all. It just didn't have the pop. Mm-hmm. And it seems like uh, unlicensed has solved that and be able, been able to solve that at a very small small scale. Yeah. You know, you touched on something which was the uh, the carriers being able to, um, I guess, open up their networks for development of apps and being some, semi-reluctant to that. So the analogy would be Apple with their iOS operating system has an API, an application programming interface that allows all these companies to write applications that we all download through the App Store. Same with Android OS. Um and the carriers never have done that historically. They always held the, the key in the lockbox to getting access to applying um, applications and things onto their networks. I've actually seen some press now that T-Mobile and AT&T are actually developing a developer kit and an API set for people to develop applications on top of their network, directly into their network. That might be the key to really seeing consumers get a benefit out of 5G. Now, Verizon so far, I don't think has announced any indication they're going to do that, but I got to imagine they'll follow suit. So that's a huge change in the industry that it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Just to think through this, and, and this, is a, this is a little bit more longer topic as well, is not because of the cost of 5G, but just simply because of the perceived or maybe real latency requirements that may be needed. There is a lot more offline processing, meaning much closer to, and I'll, I'll use the example that was the big hit at last year's CES, which is John Deere introduced this, um, I think it's a disc roller, but it's, it's, it's also, you know, does different, different things. One of which is it detects which leaves are weeds and which leaves are the harvest crop. You know, it's amazing. I mean, that was kind of the blow your mind, you know, kind of thing. And only to spray herbicide on the ones that weren't the harvest crop, which are really important, right? And 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 uh, not just environmentally, but, but financially, right? Because fertilizer costs have gone through the roof, still have gone up, I think, 40% since 2019. So it's a, it's a you know, it's some, some really interesting ways to delineate that. But a lot of that intelligence actually resides on the tractor now. I mean, they're they're building, basically, uh, bolting on small computers that do get updated um, frequently, but a lot of the processing is actually done very, very locally, 
And I think that's another opportunity for 5G to kind of say, listen, you don't have to put all that gear on the tractor. But in order to do that, you've got to make sure you have uh, ubiquity, you know, which is what, Dan, what you were just talking about. Yeah. Listen, um, this has been awesome. I, I, think, I think we could probably go for another 15 to 30 minutes easily to talk about all the stuff you saw. I think ultimately I, need to, I just need to start going to the show. I've never been myself. It's a good show. Yeah. It's a great show. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so we really appreciate you taking time. Um, you know, the, I would love to have you back again as well sometime, Jim, not to put you on the spot. But for those that don't know, Jim is an amazing analyst of the telecom industry as well and and the technology industry. And, and uh, so, you know, thanks for sharing some of your time on CES. Maybe we'll have you back to talk about uh, other things from your analysis uh, standpoint that you do uh, with the industry um, so thanks for, for joining. Yeah, thanks, thanks guys. Really appreciate it. So listen, guys, uh, if you haven't already, uh, go check out Jim's, uh, um, newsletter, check out how to, you know, Jim, how can people, uh, subscribe to your newsletter? How can they connect with you? So the website is sundaybrief.com. Um, you can just Google it, Google me, Google it. Don't Google James Patterson. You'll get all the whole different set of well-authored books. Um, but the, um, but at sunnybrief.com is it, um, and you can sign up right there. Just put your email in and, and you can get it. Yeah. If you're in the telecom industry, I highly recommend this newsletter. It's great. Well, thanks for joining again, Jim. Have a great one.